Good morning. It's great to be back at Northview. We were reflecting yesterday evening that it's been 15 years that we've been part of this community or connected to this community. Uh, back in the day, Northview, is it an elementary school or was it a middle school? Um, it's hard to believe it's been that long. But uh, back in uh, 2008, when we first started, my wife Diane and I, Diane, would you stand up briefly? <clears throat> we were working with Wycliffe Bible Translators in the country of Chad. Chad's just south of the Sahara. It's kind of the middle of, uh, middle of Africa. We were working with the Dongliat people, trying to help them with a, uh, translate the Bible into their language, working with local pastors and evangelists to reach out to unreached groups in our area. Eventually, we finished uh, work on the Dongliat translation. After 20-some years, we were able to, to dedicate the Dongliat uh, New Testament. There was a big party. We'd worked so hard to teach people to read and write the Dongliat language. We'd had some really good people to work with. We had literacy classes all over the area. And from the beginning, our hope and our dream was that someday the Dongliat New Testament would be available. People would know how to read and write and they'd be able to feed themselves from God's word. Well, not too long after the <clears throat> Dongliat New Testament was dedicated, an organization called Faith Comes by Hearing came, and they recorded the whole New Testament. They did the highest quality recording they could. They used 20-some voices, so the voice of Jesus is one voice. The voice of Peter is another voice. The, name, uh, the voice of Mary, of course, is a woman's voice. Uh, they mastered this recording. They sent what they call proclaimers, which is a, a solar-powered listening device to the field, and they distributed that throughout the, the Dungaliad area. So at some point after that, Diane returned to the village where we'd lived for many years. We found this group of women that Diane had worked so hard to teach them to read and write. And we found them seated in a circle, and they had this proclaimer off to the side. There is a woman who is the leader of the group. Her name was Amsuar. Uh, and she was leading the women as they were listening to the Bible in their heart language. They had their New Testaments open before them. They were reading along. And they used a model called head, heart, and hands. So the basic approach did, what did you hear? That's head. What does that mean to us right here and right, right now in their little village in the middle of Chad? And hands, what are we going to do about it? And as we looked at this group, we thought, wow, this is the future of this project. The Dungliat culture is an oral culture. They don't read newspapers. They don't make lists of stuff they're going to do that day. They could, but they just don't. They don't look up words in the dictionary. We worked on doing a Dunglad dictionary, but nobody's going to look up the, the meaning of the word. They don't know the meaning. They'll say, hey, what does that word mean? And somebody will tell them. It's an oral culture. Well, at that point, we had no idea that a few years after we left Chad in 2015, that we'd get a call from Faith Comes by Hearing and say, hey, we need a new Africa area director. Might you be available? Well, Diana and I went down and visited the offices of Faith Comes by Hearing in Albuquerque, we prayed about it, and we'd seen on the ground how impactful that ministry could be. So in the end, it was quite an easy decision for us to say yes to that ministry. So Wycliffe Bible Translators assigned us to work with Faith Comes by Hearing, and that's been our ministry ever since then. I was talking to James the other day, and he said, yeah, you know, many people in the church, they know the names Larry and Diane, they've heard those names, but they don't really understand what you do. Well, now, hopefully, you understand a little bit what we do. We help get 
Translated New Testaments recorded across the world. You see there's 1,934 languages that have, have now uh, have an audio version. Our founder many years ago had this vision. It was to bring God's church together to make disciples from every tri- nation, tribe, language, and people with the tools and technology of today. And that's still the vision that drives Faith Comes by Hearing. So as I mentioned, we do those audio recordings. We've done over 1,000, 1,900. Soon as it could be 2,000 audio recordings across the world. They try to make it as high of quality as possible. Everywhere we ha- where we have an audio recording, we also do a film. So we work with the Lumo organization. We take the same audio. They remix it with a very high-quality film that's filmed in Morocco. And we can provide an audiovisual product as well as the audio. And finally, wherever we have the audio, wherever we have a film, we're committed to help the partner. We provide what we call the proclaimer, which is a little listening device, or an acclaimer, which is a portable projector. Send those out to the community so that people can benefit from the audio and the videos in their language. We work in partnership, and we're committed to, to going to the last, the least, and the forgotten. So those corners that uh, may be hard to get to, may be inaccessible, may be touched by, by uh, uh, war and famine, we want to get the Bible there. And most recently, we're involved in oral Bible translation. Again, this is an audio ministry. Oral Bible translation kind of works well with that, where people listen to a translation in a related language, in a language they understand well, they internalize it, and then they retranslate in their own language. So that's kind of a new ministry of Faith Comes by Hearing. By far, the, the funnest thing that I get to do is work with this team of guys that's our regional director team. So on my right in the picture is Alamayu Helu. He's from Ethiopia. He's our regional director for Eastern and Southern Africa. My left is Daniel Deji. He's from the country of Benin. He's our director for West and Central Africa. And on the far left, on my far left in the picture is Nicholas Okurike. He's our director for uh, Nigeria. So these guys are passionate about their work. They're way overqualified. Two of them have PhDs in the field, but they're passionate about what we do. And Diana and I can tell you, we spent 20-some years helping the Dangliat have the Bible in their language. If you do that, the most important thing is you want people to use that, Right? You don't want them to say, oh, thank you very much, and they put the Bible on the shelf and they forget about it. You want to to know that the investment that you've made is paying off. And that's really what Faith Comes by Hearing does, is we're involved in helping with the implementation. Altogether, this is the team that I work with throughout Africa. If you see my picture, is on the lower right there. There's a a lady there named Mary Sakasi. She's our operations coordinator. She's a huge help in getting these devices shipped out across Africa. Uh, Other guys are involved in training the listening group facilitators uh, in promoting the work of Faith Comes by Hearing across Africa. We've got some young guys who do digital ministry, so they make apps for smartphones, and they can talk to you. They can have videos and all sorts of stuff built in there. Uh, That works great for the, the digital generation. So that's our team in Africa. When I talked to James, he said, well, people need to hear some stories. And initially, I had some other slides in here, but I wanted to tell you a couple stories. And, you know, sometimes you meet somebody and there's a picture that just sticks with you. And this lady is is one of the images that I think will stick with me till the day I die. Her name was Mart. And she was living in a refugee camp in northern Uganda. She was originally from South Sudan. There were 
thousands and thousands of people in these refugee camps, and we'd help distribute proclaimers throughout these camps. We trained listening group facilitators. And the people in these camps, my impression was that every person in that camp had one person or numerous loved ones. Either they didn't know where they were, they'd, they'd lost contact with them for, for weeks or months of years because of the war that was happening in South Sudan, or they knew that those people had been lost in the midst of the conflict. There's hurt, there's despair. You're forced out of your homeland, you're forced to a country you don't really know. The people were longing for hope and encouragement. And it was our privilege through uh, the distribution of these proclaimers, getting people together, again, processing head, heart, and hands. Let God's word do his work. What did you hear? What difference might that make for us right here and right now? In the hands, what impact will this have on our daily lives from this day forward? So this lady came to the church. I think she, I don't know how tall she was, but she wasn't five feet tall. She was blind. And in the course of this service, she was offered a proclaimer. And as she was offered that proclaimer, she just began to weep. And she said over and over and again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, we're offering that little source of hope and encouragement. Even if she'd had a written Bible, she wouldn't have been able to access that. And kind of spontaneously, she fell on her knees and people came and prayed over her that, that God would bless her and that she would make her a blessing, that she'd take this tool that she'd received and be a blessing to many other people. So that's one story. And as we speak, uh, I've been encouraged that uh, many of those refugees in the camps from South Sudan at this point are, are able to, to return back to South Sudan. So they're taking the proclaimers, the training they received, and uh, somewhat surprisingly, they're able to return back to their home country of South Sudan. But there's another crisis in that same area. This is Democratic Republic of Congo. In the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's a, a conflict that's been going, ongoing for many, many years. It talks about 6.4 million people that are displaced. Some of the people have left their home country in Congo and gone over to neighboring countries, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Tanzania. Some are internally displaced. They've had to leave their, their villages, the area that they know, and are living in camps. And we have a big project upcoming where we hope to distribute 8,000 of these little audio devices in these camps, provide training for people in the head, heart, and hands model. We'll have these little portable projectors with a combination of gospel films and films oriented towards children that are produced by One Hope. And I'm confident in that we've seen it so many times across Africa that God will use this to provide the hope and encouragement that's so desperately needed in these areas. So it's been our privilege to partner with Northview in helping make God's word known across Africa. And hopefully next time somebody says, yeah, Larry and Diane, what is it they do? James said, well, people know about Larry and Diane, but they have a hard time. Even people on the missions team have a hard time saying, well, what exactly do they do? Well, what exactly as we do is we help get people, God's word to people in the language and the medium that works best for them. Get people together in community with a trained facilitator and let God work through his word as they process, what did we hear? What can that mean for us? What shall we do about it? Well, we're talking about people in Uganda, South Sudan, uh, across Africa, and I think it'd be good this morning and our, as we anticipate Thanksgiving, we, we uh, reflect a little bit ourselves. What is this good news that God has given us? 
What is the, the, the reason above all else that we have to be thankful in this season? So I'd like uh, to read together this passage from Hebrews chapter 2. It says, Because God's children are human beings, made in flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And it was only... It was the only way that he could set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. For surely it was not angels he came to help, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a faithful, merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I'd like to come back to the first part of that verse. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. What's the holiday that we have where we celebrate God becoming flesh and blood? It's Christmas, right? The time when Christ was born into the world. There's kind of a, a theological term that we use for that. You know what that is? Incarnation. God taking on flesh. We talk about that, and, you know, many of us believe that, but sometimes I think it's good to step back a little bit and just think what that really means, what it meant for God to become man. I've appreciated a, <clears throat> a video series done by the Bible Project people, and uh, they focus on this, the sun, and they use it in, as an illustration of, of God's holiness, and I think it works very well because at its core, the word holiness means set apart or unique, something that's utterly different, something that that's, uh, has no comparison with other things in the room. And the sun is indeed unique. <clears throat> One way that the sun is, uh, is unique is that it's massive. You see the sun in the back, background of that picture, and you see the other planets in front. You know the names of those two biggest planets? The giants are Jupiter and Saturn. There's kind of the mid-sized planets that are next to them, which is Uranus and Neptune. And then there's the four tiny planets over on the side, and one of those is the planet Earth. And if we have something to be proud of, yeah, we're the biggest of the tiny planets. So that's pretty cool, huh? But scientists tell us that 99.8% of the total mass of our solar system is just in the sun. 99.8. That means all those planets together are just 0.2%, right? And, you know, most of those is going to be in the bigger planets, and we're one of the tiny planets. So compared to our planet Earth, which we may think is pretty big stuff, the Earth is just almost insignificant in size in comparison to the sun. So the first thing we would say is the sun is massive. What sets it apart is it's unique. And not only is it incredibly large, but it's incredibly powerful. It's virtually our only source of energy in the solar system. So just as a starting point, we rely almost entirely on the heat and light that it provides. Some years back, there was a group of us that went to the eastern slopes of Mount St. Helens. And I don't know if you've been there anytime recently, but of course, Mount St. Helens blew 
And most of the force of the volcano of the eruption went toward the east. And even a few years ago when we were, we were uh, hiking around in that area, it was incredible to see that the area that was exposed particularly to that blast that wasn't in the shadow and the backside of a slope or something, everything that was in that blast was like sterilized by the force of that eruption. It took tons and tons of rock and it, it just made it into the finest of powder. And the eruption was felt throughout the world. They say that the eruption of Mount St. Helens was 500 times the explosive power of the atomic bomb that fell on Hiroshima. That was huge. It's mind-boggling. That's a geothermal power. So the sun isn't the other source, only source of power. You have geo, geothermal power. But even all of that power that we saw in the eruption of Mount St. Helens is as nothing compared to the power of our sun. The sun is utterly unique. It's incredibly powerful. And yet there's another truth as well in that the sun is life-giving. The sun makes life on earth possible. Plants need the sunlight to grow. Animals need plants for food and oxygen they produce. Without the heat from the sun, the earth would freeze. This would just be an incredibly dark frozen mass. It's because of the, the energy that comes from the sun that life is possible on the planet earth. So you take those things together and you realize just how set apart the sun is, how unique it is. And in its core, that's the definition of holy. And yet if we take one step further back, this is an image from the James Webb Space Telescope. They say that our planet, that our, our sun is just one of maybe 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Other people say, no, it's 200 billion. Other people say, no, 400 billion. We don't really know how many. But there are billions and billions of stars like our sun in the Milky Way galaxy, and the sun isn't even particularly a big star. Again, it's, it's mind-boggling for us to grasp that. How vast is this universe? And that's the Milky Way galaxies. How many galaxies are there altogether all across this world that God created. The estimate is one trillion. Again, I don't think we really know. But it's vast and vast, so vast that we can't possibly imagine. If we look at this passage from uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 17, listen to what it says. It says, Our Christ, the Son of God, is the visible image is visible image of the invisible God. He existed before all those things we're talking about were created. He's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, he existed before all things, before anything else, and he holds all things together. Hebrews chapter 1 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So as we read in the passage earlier, it says he took on flesh and blood. Because you and I are flesh and blood, he took on flesh and blood. Again, we, we call that the incarnation. And I think it's helpful just to reflect again what that means. 
This is God the Son who created this vast universe. Compared to this vast universe, the Milky Way galaxy is rather small. Our solar system is even smaller. The planet Earth is so small I can't even represent it. And you and I across this room are infinitesimally small. God, who is bigger than all those things, took on flesh and blood. Reflect for a little bit on the significance of that. Jesus Christ, who's holy, who is utterly unique, took on flesh and blood. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Let's go back and read those first few verses together, and, and I think it'll help us to understand why that was so important. Again, verse 14, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And it was, only, it was the only way that he could set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. If we look at the context there, I think the logic is clear. Why did he have to take on the form of flesh and blood? One, the son had to take on flesh and blood so that he could die. Second, the son had to die in order to break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Third, the son had to break the power of death of the devil over death so that he could set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. The first thing you see there is that Jesus was born to die. I found it interesting that John Piper says this is his favorite Advent passage. It's his favorite Advent passage because it clearly shows the connection between the beginning of Jesus' life, the incarnation that we've been talking about, and the end of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. He was born, in a sense, to die. Second, I find it ironic that Jesus conquered death through death. He had to die in order to break the power of the devil who had the power of death. I know it kind of surprised me when I read this passage that says the devil has the power of death or had the power of death. Do you find that surprising as well? Kind of scary? But I think the truth is that from the time that sin first entered the world, sin and death entered together. And there was a time over many years where, where, the, where the devil had the keys to sin and death. But you may remember this passage from the first chapter of Revelation where our Lord Jesus himself said, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. So the devil had the power of death, but Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. Finally, the son had to break the power of the devil over death so that he could set free all who've lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Satan is still alive and active in this world, world but as Piper says, the, the devil was defanged at the time of the crucifixion. And I think it's worth reading this quote in full. He says, In dying, Christ defanged the devil. How? By covering all our sins. This means that Satan has no legitimate grounds to accuse us before God. Satan's ultimate weapon against us is our own sin. 
If the death of Jesus takes it away, the chief weapon of the devil is taken out of his hand. He cannot make a case for our death penalty because the judge has acquitted us by the, the death of his son. Let's read these verses one more time before we go on. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And it was only in that way that he could set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And we go on to the second portion of the passage. It's a kind of a transition verse. For surely it was not angels he came to help, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When I was first looking at this verse, I found it somewhat surprising that it says, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. You know, this is God. Who tells God he has to do everything? But I think the context of the passage makes it clear why he had to be made like his brothers. And the first reason, again, it's very clear in the passage, he had to be made like his brothers so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. He had to walk in our shoes, so to speak, in order to understand the struggles that we live through. And second, he had to be made like his brothers so that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. It's only because he himself suffered when he was tempted that he is able to identify with and help those who are being tempted. Reminded of this parallel passage in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I like to kind of draw your attention to three parts here. First of all, it says, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. Who's the great high priest? It's Jesus, right? And where is he? He's already entered heaven. Second, note that he faced all the same temptations that we do and yet without sin. Our passage in Hebrews chapter 2 said he was like his brothers in every way. And here we see he was like his brothers in every way with one exception. He never sinned. And third, the passage encourages us to come boldly to the throne of our God, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. He was like us in every way, and yet without sin. So as we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we think about how that he is God the Son, how he's so set apart from who we are, again, I'd like to use an analogy from the, the Bible project that goes back to the sun. As we said before, we know that the sun is utterly unique. It's so much bigger than anything that we could imagine. It's so powerful, incredibly powerful. 
There's nothing that we can conceive of that even uh, helps us understand that. And at the same time, it's so good. It's so essential. It's life-giving. <clears throat> and yet, as Mackey and his team point out, can't take the sun lightly. And he uses this illustration. It's sun tours. There's a little spaceship there. You see the people inside. How do they look? They're pretty psyched about going on the sun tour. How about you? Are you going to sign up for the sun tour? You think that's a good idea? Go, go get a close-up view of the sun? Is that going to turn out well? Well, if you follow it, they're heading off here toward the sun. They're still looking pretty happy. Uh, they're getting a little bit closer. Ooh, they're getting really close. What happened? Spaceship went splat. Getting that close to the sun is not a good idea. You have no idea how much power is enveloped in the sun. Oh, look, there's a little uh, satellite. It's getting a little close to the sun as well. Oop, just got vaporized. So the point is that the holiness of God is similar. I mean, God is so good. He's, 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 so in, it's, he's essential to everything that we are, to our lives. But approaching the holiness of God on our own is a very dangerous endeavor. We just can't do it. It's because of what Christ did for us in taking away our sin that we have a chance of approaching the holiness of God. The son had to be made like his brothers so that, I like this picture of Jesus with a little girl. That's what makes it possible what Christ did for us on the cross. This God who created all this vast universe that is, is, is way more than we can imagine took on flesh and blood. He was born to die. That's not the only reason he was born. He was also born because he needed to walk in our shoes in order to understand the struggles that we have. I like this image as well of people approaching the holiness of God, and that's you and I. And uh, we just read the passage from Hebrews chapter 4 where it talks about approaching the throne of grace with confidence. And that's the good news that we have because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We can approach the holiness of God with confidence. Jesus, our high priest, is already there. We read that, right? And he says, you and you and you, if you're in Christ, if you've embraced Christ, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. I'd like to end with this passage from John chapter 4, you've 14. You've heard it before. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you and you and you and you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. And the Thanksgiving season, is that a reason for Thanksgiving? Is it a reason to celebrate the faithfulness of God as we sang this morning? What are a few of the lessons that we can take away from our passage in Hebrews chapter 2? First of all, let's never lose our wonder of the incarnation, God becoming man. It was and is a really, really, really big deal. Second, let's remember Christ now holds the keys to death in Hades. Those who trust in him need never be afraid. Third, Christ became like us so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest. 
He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He understands us even when we struggle. And finally, because of what Christ has done for us, we can approach the holiness of God with confidence. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done for us. And I'd like to leave us with this image of <clears throat> people approaching the holiness of God through what, what God has done through us, for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, in this season of Thanksgiving, we're above all thankful that uh, you sent your son into this world, that you've provided your word, God, that we can understand uh, your plan. Even though we don't always understand and sometimes from day to day we struggle, we know that you understand those struggles, that you lived through many of the same struggles when, when you took on flesh and blood and you came to earth amongst us. And that you died in order to offer us the, the forgiveness of sins. And that we can approach your throne with confidence. And know that you are preparing a place for us. You've gone ahead into heaven. And that you're there to welcome us. We have so much to be thankful for. We thank you for the privilege as well as partnering together to help make your word known throughout Africa and across the world. In the languages and in the mediums that work best for the people involved. Thank you, God, for Northview. We pray you continue to bless this body and, and make them a blessing uh, in the community and beyond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.